Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. I always say that everything starts with knowing the consumer. And for me, it, it always just goes back to that basic. And if you know that well, then every other decision that you make is going to be successful. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Kenya Eldridge, Executive Director, U.S. Brand Marketing at NARS Cosmetics. Before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Your reviews and ratings mean so much, so make sure that you subscribe and follow to Business of the Beat. All right, everyone. Kenya is a curious and passionate business leader with over 20 years of experience in brand management and consumer strategy. She is highly regarded for consistently demonstrating strong analytical skills and turning data and insights into business building actions. She has a talent for quickly identifying problems, effectively communicating, and creating collaborative solutions with impactful results. Her early career began navigating the ad world of Madison Avenue at Young and Rubicam, managing accounts such as Kraft and Dannon. Post-business school, Kenya transitioned to a marketing career in the beauty industry. She has gained numerous experiences building and turning brands around at companies such as Estee Lauder, Victoria's Secrets, Elizabeth Arden, and presently Shiseido Americas. Kenya, welcome to Business of the Beat. It's so great to see you. It's been so long. I'm just so happy to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been too long, and I'm so excited to be here with you. I can't even, it's like when I think about everything that's happened. So I get to brag a little bit because I met Kenya when we were both on set for Essence Magazine's 17 Inspiring Black Executives Redefining the Face of Beauty. So we're on this photo shoot for this digital cover that we're doing, and it's just Black excellence, Black beauty. It was amazing. And Kenya and I met and I reached out to her and she reached out to me and we met in person. And so it's just, it's, it's such an honor to be part of those opportunities. And then it's just even the highlight to meet so many amazing women. And you and I have continued to figure out ways to work together and support each other. And so this is just such a treat to have you. It's such a treat for me because, you know, it's so funny. I feel like we've only really known each other for a few years, but it feels like so much longer. I just think in just that short period of time, you've become, you know, such a part of my life and you've been such an inspiration. Honestly, just to see all the work that you've done, it truly inspires me. I mean, being a mom, a wife, an entrepreneur, I honestly don't know how you find the time to do it all. But I am so excited that you have now ventured into this podcast because 
I think it's just such an amazing way to bring the stories of so many women in business to the forefront. And I think it's incredible work. It's important work. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. Like it truly is such a passion. And I think about, you know, 25 black women in beauty and the work that's done there to just bring us together because so much of it is supporting each other. Like I'm supporting you, you're supporting me and we're supporting so many people around us. And just the stories are, are, I think, what helps us know that we can move forward together. Daria Burke was on and I always quote her because she's like, seeing is believing is becoming. And I think that that's really what we're doing. And so, you know, let's jump in because I want to learn more and I want our listeners to learn more everything about you, like start from the beginning. I want to get into this new role that you have. Like, I love the success stories coming out of COVID and the transition. So start from the beginning, tell us about your journey and what, where you are now today. Well, first of all, I think it's important to mention that I grew up in North Carolina in a very small town with a small family. (laughs) And if you had asked me back in 1996, if I ever thought that I would be a marketing executive, I would have, first of all, not even known what that meant, but no way would I have thought that I would be where I am today. Um, I was raised by so many strong women around me, but growing up in a small town, I had a very limited understanding of the, the career journeys and opportunities out there. And It's so funny. When I graduated from high school, I thought I was going to be a pharmacist. And when I started (laughs) at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, that was what I had declared uh, initially. And that first, I still remember it very vividly, that first week when you're going through the orientation and they're talking about all of the science and math classes that I would need to do in order to get that degree in the <laughs> pharmacist, I was just like, you know what? I might need to rethink this <laughs> because this is not be the right path for me. And um, from there, it really became this time of self-reflection and discovery throughout undergrad, and I stumbled somewhat into the School of Journalism. And that was when I started learning more about the various careers within that school. And it's so funny because even just narrowing it down to the School of Journalism, there were a number of different paths. And I thought at one point that I was going to just be a reporter, and I wrote for the Daily Tar Hill, and I realized, okay, this isn't really (laughs) just for me. This isn't really right for me. And then I thought, okay, maybe I want to do broadcast journalism. And then I got this summer internship at BT. And I was like, this is fun. But you know what? (laughs) I think I might still need to be doing something more. Um, Because when you first start off in broadcast journalism, I found out that you have to start in these very small markets and really work your way up into bigger cities. And I was thinking that might not be right for me either. And then. I got an internship in advertising the summer right before I graduated at Leo Burnett. And I realized, wow, this is actually something that I think could bring together all of my interest in being creative, but strategic. And that's what I went for and realized, okay, 
how do I get a job in advertising coming from North Carolina, not having any connections. And it was really, truly uh, pounding the pavement. I was flying back and forth Mm -hmm. from North Carolina to New York whenever I was able to get interviews. It was it was a pretty intense time. It was really just a test of my commitment to wanting to move to New York and get into that industry. And then I finally did get an offer from Young and Rubicam. And I still remember being so excited when I heard from them and just went for it. I moved to New York at the age of 22. Back in 2000, I had probably $300 to my name (laughs) in the whole world. That was all that I had. But I like to think that I had a million dollars worth of determination and I was going to figure it out once I got here. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And once I started started getting the paychecks from YNR, I was like, okay, I'll make it. I'll make this three hundred dollars last until I'm able to figure out everything else. And essentially, I did advertising for a little over four years, and it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, the agency that I worked at was supposedly modeled after or Mad Men. The show was supposedly yes. a younger <laughs> Rubicam. And it still, even at that time, felt a little bit like that. And I think that I learned so much about troubleshooting and figuring out scrappy ways to put out fires, but also building relationships because I found out that if you were nicer to the creatives in the studio, they would prioritize your work and you could get your stuff done before 10 p.m. Um, but at a certain point in that, in that journey, I realized that I wanted to be on the other side of the table and I wanted to be doing more of the work that I was learning that our clients were doing the marketers on the client side, because the advertising was just one little piece of the puzzle in terms of determining if the business was going to be successful or not. And I wanted to get involved in all those other things. And um, I started looking for opportunities in marketing. And you would think that it would be a natural transition. But for whatever reason, it was nearly impossible for me. And um, that was when I realized, you know what, I'm going to pause I'm going to pivot and I'm going to go to business school and I'm going to get my MBA and I'm going to make sure that I know and learn everything that I need to know so that no one's going to tell me no ever again. And, you know, and what I'm looking to pursue. And while I was in business school, I knew that I wanted to work in the beauty industry because for me, if I'm going to be the best marketer out there, I want to actually be passionate about what I'm doing yes. because you have to truly immerse yourself in the industry and the consumer. And I knew that I was not going to be able to, I mean, I guess I could do it for something like dog food or mac and cheese, but I felt like <laughs> it was like now pass. Exactly. I was like, I think it would be so much better if I could do it in an industry 
that I naturally get and naturally am excited about. And so once again, I had this narrow tunnel vision and was only focused on getting into the beauty industry and being a marketer. And it was, again, not easy. I didn't have any special connections. I didn't have know a lot of people um, that could make phone calls for me, but I didn't give up. And it was the same process of you know pounding the pavement because there were not a ton of beauty companies coming to Kellogg even. But um, yeah. I did get a break and I was able to start my career at Estee, La- at Estee um, Lauder and had the opportunity while I was there to work on some amazing brands. And I do believe that that was really where I got the best training that um, allowed me to really understand what it meant to, to really be a global marketer. And from there, mm-hmm. I have had a number of other experiences. For me, it was always just, okay, I need to be doing something different. I need another experience that's really going to push me. So I have constantly been in pursuit of those opportunities. And at this point, you know, I've worked on pretty much every single category in the industry, wow. from makeup to skincare and fragrance. And there was an opportunity at Shiseido in 2016 that came up and it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to essentially relaunch their entire makeup line. And that's unheard of. Essentially you never have that ability to rebrand a brand that's already established like Shiseido is. You normally only get that experience when you're working for a startup. And to be able to come in and say, we're going to hit reset and we're going to discontinue everything that we have today and reimagine makeup and introduce an entirely new makeup line, color and complexion was an opportunity of a lifetime. So I, I joined Shiseido in 2016 to be part of that initiative. And so great. it was amazing because, you know, again, you're coming into an established brand that has been doing things in a certain way for over 150 years. And you're part And of- a brand that's not founded in the U.S. I mean, even the ability to mix cultures. Keep going. I love this. Keep going. Exactly. A brand that's Japanese is a Japanese brand. Um, so that's the other thing. They essentially decided that for this moment, they wanted to move that responsibility of driving the innovation to New York, to our office. So again, never heard of, never happened before. And I was able to, to be a part of that. And it was so special. Um, I mean, Shiseido just in general is a, a very unique place. It has such an amazing culture and, um, mm-hmm. you know, was able to relaunch complexion for Shiseido makeup, which again, I think is one of the things <laughs> that I'm so proud of having had and grateful for having had that opportunity. Because when you think about Shiseido Foundation, 10 years ago, 
even six years ago, yes. <laughs> it was not really on the radar because they had a very limited range of shades. Mm-hmm. Let's call it 15 or 16 shades. And with the relaunch, yes. we were able to expand it to 30 shades so that there is, it was truly wow. inclusive. And there was truly now, there's truly now a shade for pretty much all skin. Wow. Um, so that was wow. something that I was able to be a part of and really help drive. And I think it's it's exciting when you're able to make those those moves and um, that progress within established brands. Well, and I wanna I wanna get you into NARS, um, but I have to say, like one of the things that we talk about from an entrepreneur perspective is that there's such an amazing thing to be in a company and to have the resources, the history and heritage and still be able to be an entrepreneur. It's almost like you're at a startup and to impact change and to reimagine things. And like, it's so dynamic and it's so important that as many entrepreneurs that we have, that we have as many entrepreneurs, because your ability to come in from a different culture, a different perspective, a different origin in terms of where you grew up, and then to couple that with what's now being created to represent so many races and faces. I mean, your voice and your presence is so important and having that seat at the table and then being able to talk about it and being able to look at the work and say, we went from this many shades to 30 shades. And like that impact would not have been as great as if if you weren't there. And I always encourage people, like make sure that we're still looking after the Estee Lauders, the L'Oreal's, the PNGs, the Unilever's because they need our leadership and they need our counsel and they need us to help them continue to build on the foundation that they've already set with new voices and new mindsets. So I love, I, I just, I love hearing you talk about it. Um, I've had the benefit, everyone, of being in Kenya's office and seeing the magic um, as she's talking. So I love the storytelling. And then from Shishado, what was the bridge that got you into NARS? Wow. So previously throughout my career, uh, once I started in beauty, I was always doing global product marketing. And in that capacity, you're really driving the innovation pipeline, which for me was incredible because I do like to think of myself as an idea factory and I love driving product <laughs> innovation. I love just looking at a white sheet of paper and figuring out like, what if, what if we had a blush that could do this and uh, really transform and had this kind of texture? I love coming up with innovation and figuring out where the white space is and really driving that to market. However, I there was something in me that also wanted to get experience working as a U.S. marketer. And that opportunity presented itself on NARG. So I was able to easily make that transition from being a global marketer, where previously throughout all of my career, I had been focused on understanding everything that was happening in Asia, everything that was happening in Europe, as well as the Americas, and making sure that we were thinking about the strategy for the business globally and really trying to figure out, well, what is going to be the innovation pipeline that's going to really resonate with consumers all over the world to now moving into a role where I'm only focused on the U.S. consumer and having a lot more accountability for making sure that whatever new innovation that we are receiving 
is going to actually deliver to the KPIs and the sales projections that we, we need to hit. And that was the piece that, that really excited me about joining NARS. And it's, um, it's wild how fast time flies. I'm coming up on my one year anniversary of being on NARS. And it's been incredible. I'm currently the, the ED of brand marketing. So overseeing, um, you know, the strategy and making sure that all of our establishing our KPIs and making sure that all of our efforts that we are doing uh, within the team are laddering up to those KPIs. And I then also oversee all of the digital media. So making sure that we are fueling our big bets full funnel and partnering with our media agency to make sure that we're looking at the right innovation in media and digital media and reaching our consumers where they're spending the most time. So that's also been a really fun aspect of the role as well. And I've learned so much in that capacity. And I think it's been exciting to get more experience and really see because those those digital platforms like TikTok and Instagram are evolving <laughs> every single week. So it's been great yes. to be part of that and to really figure out how can I think in a more innovative way to make sure that we continue to reach our consumers because their behavior is changing all the time in yes. terms of how they're consuming media. And I, I feel like, you know, innovation is such an important aspect um, for any company, right? So there's the things that brands have to do. They have to um, make sure that they have their products, their ingredients, their formulations. They have to make sure that they stay in stock, that they have the right team, that they're listening to their customers and reacting to customer service is really one of the most important things. But when we talk about innovation, innovation comes in so many different ways. And I love how you, you've been very specific, right? You wanted to do marketing. You wanted to do marketing for beauty. And now you're the ED. And looking at how the evolution of marketing, especially in beauty, has occurred. And even, I mean, we can talk about 10 years, five years, even in the last one year, you're coming up on your year anniversary. Congratulations. And you guys are really one of the first ones even doing NFTs. So I think we have to kind of get out of our comfort zone, you know, of, of doing kind of some of those tried and true things. And you guys have always been at the forefront. Like I saw the NFT article and I emailed Dina and I was like, of course you're the first ones doing yeah. NFTs. Of course you're doing TikTok. So it's so fun because I do think that beauty allows us to play within these different channels from a content perspective and in so many ways. And I think it's really interesting. And I want to talk about kind of the global and the U.S.-based because so many people are U.S. and they're trying to figure out global. And you've said, wait a second, I've conquered global. Now let's focus on the U.S. And I would imagine, and it's kind of what I'm hearing you say, it gives you this opportunity to really hone in on the market that we are and conquer it and figure out that consumer and, work, and what works best. How has it been going from global to U.S. and kind of what insights can you share for brands that are maybe like trying to go global or maybe global and helping them kind of define what markets they should focus, especially with limited resources? So I would say if you are focused on the U.S. and you are trying to 
go global, I would say you need to focus on, first of all, the top markets where you already know there is a demand for, let's call it makeup or if it's skincare, going into those markets where you already know there's an interest. And starting there by building some awareness of your your brand so that when you go in, it's a little bit of an easier sell because people are already familiar with your brand. You never want to launch in a new market and be starting at ground zero. So somehow you already need to be building a little bit of awareness. Um, and today it's it's so easy. It's much easier than it was 20, 30 years ago because of technology and social there's ways to to reach people all over the world now um, and tap into those influencers who can start building some buzz. But I would say start off small, start off in markets where you already know it's a big opportunity. You would never want to start off in some tiny market where they don't even have the distribution that you're going right. to need smart. To, to move your product. Um, and then... For me, focus, like now that I'm in this role and I'm really focused on the U.S., it's so, it's interesting because I always, coming from global, I could tell you, I was very broad. I could tell you a lot. I could tell you information about consumers in Korea, as well as how they differed from consumers in the U.K., as well as how consumers differed in their shopping behavior in Japan. Now that I'm in this marketing role that's purely focused on the U.S. consumer, I've become somewhat of a consumer scientist, <laughs> and I've gone. Wow. Yeah, it's I. I love this consumer <laughs> scientist. <laughs> I am so intimate with the consumer, the consumer in the U.S. that I break them down into various segments and. For me, my goal is to really understand and listen to the various types of NARS consumers because there's not just one, right? And if you think that there is just one type of consumer, you're missing the boat and you're going to get it wrong because our brand is actually so unique that it does attract a very broad and diverse consumer. So I want to make sure that I am understanding the needs and where our consumers are, how they're feeling, what stage they are in their life, because that makes me a better marketer. It makes me understand what I might need to do differently in our messaging and the, even just things like the product assortment and how that might be different in an Ulta versus a Sephora. I always say that everything starts with knowing the consumer. And for me, it, it always just goes back to that basic. And if you know that well, then every other decision that you make is going to be successful. I love that. Everything starts with knowing the consumer. Um, and, and I think that it is true. Like, especially now, understanding the consumer, understanding the brand, understanding just the market in general helps, I think, understand like where brands need to go, right? I don't know mm -hmm. if people spend enough time. I know like 
a lot of times um, we're creating things, right? Because it's our passion. It's what we want. We want people to like these 10 shades. We want people to like this color because maybe some data has told us that from a trending products perspective, we know that lipstick sales may be down. So we're going to double down somewhere else. But so much comes from listening. And we see the difference in the brands who listen. Like I think about um, even Ron and Beauty Stat and how he spent so much time, five years, I think, just listening before he even came out with this product. And I love this notion of a consumer scientist. I actually think we need to talk about that more as a role that all brands and all companies really have. And to your point, there's so many layers. I think even brands that may be identified as brands for black or brown people, the ingredients and sometimes what they do can work on other skin types. Or even as we look at, I know the census like just came out and I'm like devouring it in terms of self-identifying, biracial, mixed race, all the things that they're looking at. And there's such a nuance into that consumer in terms of all of the different products. And so really understanding, like, do I just want to play for a diverse audience? Do I want to be more gen? What's Gen Z? What's the millennials? All those different things. Because I think for any brand to continue, you have to increase market share. Like you have to. And so where does that come from and how do you do it well? And it only happens when you are a consumer scientist like yourself. <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. And, you know, it could be it could be small things. It could be small things that you are adapting based on that understanding, based on really knowing who your consumer is that come into play with your messaging. It could come into play with the assets. It comes into play definitely how you're targeting in media. There's so many different ways, yes. even in media, where I can make sure that this specific message for the same product, right? is reaching a different consumer so that it resonates with them. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think it's very interesting because I love how you double down in one area and how you commit. And as you were telling your story, I have so many parallels with you. Like I grew up in Round Rock, Texas. I went to school at Purdue and I was literally like, I'm going to intern at one of the biggest PR agencies in the world and took the Greyhound to New York. And you know, it's all these things. And, and it is true. It's like if we can take $300 and turn that into a million dollars and press on, that's when we unlock the magic. And to have that goal and be very certain. And you also use the word pivot. So how do we have a goal? How do we commit? How do we stretch? And then how do we know when to pivot? And so as you were listening, I'm like, wow, it's all of those nuances of life that you really honed in on. And I, as you're talking, I'm like, this makes so much sense because I saw your IG bio, which I love, by the way. And it says, ready to change the world, motivate and inspire one day at a time. And I was like, wow, that is so her as you were talking. So, so tell us as we, as we start to close, like, how do you stay motivated? How are you so inspired? And how do you remain passionate with, with so much going on? Well, first of all, in terms of staying motivated, it's that part's the easy part because I love, love, love beauty. I love this industry and I love 
being an innovator. I love addressing the needs of our consumers because in a little way, I do think that our work in this industry does change the world. It changes the lives of so many consumers for the positive because we know that when people use our products, they feel a certain way. It's an experience. You feel happy. You feel more confident. I think also the other thing that's been really important for me is this resilience. And it's really just being never giving up to a certain degree, because I do want to like put out there that it's not been an, an easy journey. And I know sometimes you look back on someone's journey and it, it's very easy to ignore some of the challenges. But for me, it's yes. always been not giving up. And there is this mantra that I do really love. And it was from a football coach. And I heard him say it a while back. And it really stuck with me. And it was very simple. It's just keep your oar in the water and row the boat. And what it really means is, you know, you think about the sport of rowing. And when you're rowing a boat, you can't see where you're going. Your back is, is um, you know, your back is forward, it's toward the future. And you have to have a little bit of faith, right? Because you can't see the future. You're rowing in the present, which is the only thing that you can control, but you're facing the past, which to me, I've always found that so odd that rowers are just looking at that direction, but that's the only thing that you cannot change, but you can learn from it. So for me, it's like, I know I can't change the past, but I always like try to look back and figure out, well, what are the lessons that I can take away from all of those experiences? And the or, when you think about the or, for me, it's like the energy that you're bringing to life. And if you take that or out of the water, you're not moving. Your boat is not going anywhere. So I always try to remind myself and my partner, Joe, he is amazing. And we each remind each other of this at times when there is a challenge to just keep your oar in the water, right? And keep that boat moving forward because the present is the only thing that you have control over and you can't give up. So that I would say is, is definitely one of the, the mantras that I have to just constantly have that in the back of my head and, and keep rowing the, the boat. Oh my gosh, I'm getting chills. I love that. Keep your oar in the water. And I love how breaking down what each piece means because I hadn't thought of it that way in terms of what rowers are doing and how that combines really the past, the present, and the future and what we can control. And I think that's the way that we have to keep moving forward is if we do look back what did we learn? Like, I always like to say, you know, I'm not going to say that this was a failure because all failures lead to learning and success, right? So I don't really love the, that was a failure because of this, because I'm like, no, oh my gosh, look at the lessons that were learned. It may not have worked out the way that we wanted to, or we may have had to pivot, or we may have had to take a little bit longer on the journey that we were on. But if we look at the lessons and the experience and what we picked up along the way, then that informs the success and the happiness of the future so that we can make sure we're constantly learning, right? I think that that's the exciting part to be constantly learning. So I love that. Keep your heart. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 
So before we close up, we always, 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 and this is going to be a tricky one for you because I have seen the NARS beauty closet and it is like Disneyland. It's amazing. I just wanted to put everything in my purse. So this is going to be a hard one, but we always close out with like, what's one brand that you're excited about? So definitely NARS, let us know if there's any tea that you can spill about any new things that are coming out with you guys that we should check out. And then also a brand that you just love that you want our listeners to go and check out and like spread the brand love. Okay. Well, I can't reveal too much of the tea for NARS, but I will definitely say, keep your, keep your eyes on it, right? Because we're doing some incredible things and um, there will be some excitement coming out within the next few months. In terms of, um, you know, makeup, I do want to put out there, again, one of my favorites, I have to shout out Shiseido, the Singer Skin Self-Refreshing Foundation, because, you know, even though it is not a Black-owned brand, I think it's so important that we do recognize these brands when they have made these strides over the years to be more inclusive. And that foundation, I have not met a single person who doesn't love it because it does feel like skincare. It has the SPF and it's just a beautiful formula. And I'm not just saying that because I worked on it, but it's true. <laughs> You're like, because um, I created it. It's still really good. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And then I want to give a couple others, just in a few other categories outside of makeup and hair. I do really love Curl Mix and I do have to shout out Kim because she's been doing some great stuff. I love her hair serums. That's been getting me through COVID and keeping my ends healthy. Um, and fragrance, there is this uh, candle company. So here's the other thing during COVID and working from home, I've had to have a candle. I light a candle yes. every single morning and I've been exploring and trying to find other candle brands. And I discovered Joe and Monroe and I love, love, love okay. their candles. Um, so that's, that's definitely one. And then finally in skincare, it's not really a brand, but it's a person, Jasmine Panama Hill. I don't know if you know her, but Yes. <laughs> I would say keep an eye on her because in this the world of skincare, um, you know, she is uh, she's becoming somewhat of an expert and she's definitely an enthusiast um, in that space. And I think we're going to be seeing some exciting things from her um, coming soon. I love these. Oh my gosh. They're so good. I love them. Like we have such a great list so that we can always try and Curl Mix is fantastic. Kim will be on the show soon. I'm an investor in Curl Mix. Like I am a huge fan. Oh yes. I love their story. Um, I was fortunate because, you know, in 25 Black Women in Beauty, we broke into those little pods. Yeah, we were in our pod. So we had so much time. Like we had a pod. So we had so much time um, looking at everything that they're doing. It's just, it's phenomenal. And then even the fragrances, like I'm just, it's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's like, we always want to share the brand love. And one thing too, I think that it's really interesting how you talk about Shiseido in terms of not necessarily being black owned, but providing a great product for black women or brown skin tones. 
And I think that we can't forget, I think that it falls in this conversation of allyship as well, because I think that we do have to applaud companies who have taken the time, have been responsible, have put the teams in place like yourself to make sure that they are addressing that consumer. So when you care about your consumer and you care about making impact and you care about doing the right thing, then I do think that we have to also support those brands so that they can continue to do that and continue to be lead by example in terms of the size. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think that it's really important that we continue to shine light on the brands that are doing that and are making changes and are taking and are taking the steps. So great shout out. I'm going to go and check that out as I'm going to search for a new foundation. Pretty clean face yeah. right now. But um, Kenya, this has been so fantastic. I'm so happy that we got to do this. Thank you for taking the time. I'm inspired. I'm going to keep my oar in the water. Thank you. This has been so much fun. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And this week, thank you, Kenya. Make sure to check out Jasmine Hill. She's at J-A-S-M-I-N-E-P-E-N-N-A-M-M-A on Instagram. You can also find her at Aesthetic Influencer. And as always, I want to leave you with one thing from today's guest. How will you just go for it? I love what Kenya said. She only had $300, but she had 1 million worth of determination. How will you just go for it? And how will you stay determined? So follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode and we love to hear from you. Make sure that you rate, follow, and subscribe. We love your ratings and reviews. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, and on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a Mean Old Line Media production.